You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is Sunday night, September 11th. I, I've been thinking about the 9-11 people all day. Those families, what a what a heartbreak and an agony. Oh, my gosh. Um, an agony to recall. Mm-hmm. That's what someone mm-hmm. said, one of the survivors said. It's just the fact that you have to every, you yeah. know, every, yeah, every, yeah. it's a reminder again. And it brings it all back. It does. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really heal just for that. But, mm-hmm. but as a nation, we need to remember it. We need to never forget what happened there. You know, we never need to, we, we need to never lose that. But, um, okay, well, you know what? We got through creation. Hallelujah. And um, we're about to start talking about the fall. So we're moving on into chapter 3 here. Um, And Adam and Eve, at the end of chapter 2, God had set his parameters for marriage. So this is what it is. A man will leave his uh, mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And there was the there were the parameters set for marriage, and um, Adam had looked at Eve. Now this is interesting, and I want you to remember this. Adam looked at Eve and declared what she was. He says, "I am Ish. She is Isha. She comes out from me. She's a part of me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Isha is not her name. That's what he declared her to be. Woman Isha. Okay." And um, hello. Hello. Yes. Is the program upstairs? Tonight? It's it's at six thirty. Yeah, it's it's in an hour. All right. So I know <laughs> nobody's there. You want to sit in Bible study with us? You're welcome to do that. I'm Sandy Ziegler. Nice to meet you, Ron Garth. <laughs> nice Ron. to meet you too. <laughs> Come in and have a seat. <laughs> We're talking about the fall of man, Genesis chapter three. You've been here yeah. before, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Familiar. Yeah. He, he said something once about Oh. <laughs> I don't believe you're from Bedford. Oh, so like. <laughs> Well, welcome back again. Thank you. We just started. So yeah. Where? Genesis chapter 3. We haven't gone very far here. <laughs> okay. But um, we're starting to talk about the fall of man. And um, just just prior to the beginning of chapter 3, you, you learn about their estate. And like I said, and it's important that you know that, you know, when he said... <laughs> You will be called woman. The, the word call there is not the word name. It's the word for declaring what you are. So you, you are a woman, Isha, because you were taken from me. He just recognized her as a counterpart of himself. Okay? And um, then um, at this point in time, they knew no shame. They didn't know any shame. Um, 
John Gill said there was nothing in them or on them that caused shame. No sinful defect, nothing scandalous, nothing blameworthy. No sin in their nature, no guilt in their consciousness or wickedness in their hands. There was no consciousness of sin. They had no sin consciousness. And at that point, of course, they had not eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had the ability to think and reason and that's really where the trouble starts because um, that, they're the only creatures that have the ability to think and reason rationally. And it's in that ability to think and reason that we find pride. And that is exactly what caught Satan um, or Lucifer. You know, as he talked about in Isaiah, he says, you know, in Isaiah it says, you were perfect, you know, when you were created. Perfect in all your ways until... Iniquity was found in you. And what was the iniquity? Pride. I will raise my throne up. I'll be like the Most High God. So that danger was there for Adam and Eve. And um, in the Targum, the ancient writings, the the Hebrew writings, Rabbi Jonathan says this, and um, I think it fits. Both of them were wise, Adam and his wife, but they were not faithful or truthful in their glory. Um, and that kind of sets them up for what's going to happen. If they had been truly faithful and truly um, truthful in their glory, there would never have been a way that Satan could have wedged himself in and taken their eyes off of God, the only one that they had a relationship with, the creator uh, of the universe, whom they had an intimate relationship with. So there was a, um, a flaw in their thinking and in their character. They were not truthful in their glory. Um, and so we come to the fall of mankind. It is the one moment in history that all humanity wishes we could take back. You know, literally all hell broke loose that day in the garden. And, um, and now where there was blessing and perfection and life, Death and the curse prevailed um, because all things are made of dirt. So everything was infected. Um, if you look at, go to Romans chapter 5 real quick. Leave your finger in chapter 3. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and then I'm going to just kind of set this up and then we'll go on with the story. But just go to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Okay. Um, Paul's talking about grace here. And the fact that one man's fall infected all of us. And the reason we're all infected is because we're all made of the same dirt. God said it. He said, because you're made of dirt. And everybody, every other human being is connected in that you're all made from the same thing. That dirt, that soil of life is affected in all of us. And um, that proclivity to sin is in our, it's in our flesh. So he's talking about the difference in what happened with Adam and what happened with Jesus who was literally the second Adam. 
But I want you to look at this more from what happened with Adam this time. We'll go back and read it again and look at Jesus and the grace later. But for right now, just look at that. What is the verse? Um, we're going to start with verse... Um, Let's just start with verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Therefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin... So death passed on all men, for all have sinned. You know, even if, if you in your whole life never did anything wrong, your flesh sinned. We were in Adam's loins when he ate that apple. You know, we were part of that action in the garden. And um, so all that sin entered into our flesh and our little piece of dirt through Adam. Okay. Um, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. And this is an important concept, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. God was able to deal with Adam and Eve and every other human being between um, Adam and and um, the children of Israel when they got the law in the desert by faith. By faith in what God would do for them. They lived by faith. And that was imputed to them for righteousness. If you read the whole book of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you find by faith, by faith, by faith. And, and so the covenant was... <clears throat> excuse me. So the covenant was of faith, okay, in what God had done for them, in what God would do for them. Um, and so the sin was not imputed in that it, you know, there's not a red mark next to their name up in heaven on the blackboard. It's just that that sin nature in them uh, causes them to be less than perfect. But faith in the living God covers that. And there's a righteousness in that faith that God can work with. Okay, let's just keep moving. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. And not as if it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Okay. That verse is so powerful because if you, if you read scripture, you know that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. From Hello. Hello. I was with the youth. Okay, with the youth. 
they came by. That's where they are. And um, right here. Mm -hmm. And I told them that you would be in touch some way. They have no phone. They have no anything. I have the feeling they have very little of anything, and I, they wanted us to uh, just buy them like a forty-five dollar um, phone card. And I'm going, well, you you have to talk to our pastor. We don't just yeah. do that. I said this has to go through our church. It's just the way our church runs. So I told him, I said I'll give you that. Now there's a slim chance that um, they're going to show up tonight for the service. Good. That's what I told him. I said you should do that. I'll just wait here for you. <laughs> there you go. That's a good idea. Why not, huh? Yes, yes why not? Exactly. You, see you too? Yeah. You're looking tan. <laughs> Myrtle Beach Sun will do that to you. Yeah. I'm so happy you guys got to do that. Oh, my gosh. Well, then I guess I can just turn my phone off. All right, I got it. Yeah. Okay, it's in your hands now. <laughs> Knew you would. Okay, that worked. Yeah, so we'll see. I hope they do come tonight. We'll do them good and help them too. So we'll see. So we're still in Romans chapter 5. Uh, well, I was just stopping right there for a minute just to, to talk about that verse. Okay. I just lost my own place though. 17. Talking, yeah. I just closed the book on it. Okay. Um, that gift of righteousness was really purchased before the foundations of the world. The Lamb was slain. That's in Revelations. The Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Um, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, it says, you know, we were called before the foundations of the world, you know, in Christ Jesus. So, in God's eyes, who, who lives outside of time and space, Jesus has already been crucified. He hasn't been manifested. And so the faith of, of good men can be registered and accounted to them as righteousness even though they're not perfect. And none are. But that was what was accounted to them. And then the law came. And then that became the measure and stick for righteousness. And thank goodness Jesus Christ finally showed up. So we're back to grace. It's faith, you know. We are saved by grace and that through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift, lest any man should boast. So we are, we, we've come full circle again. But I want you to understand when God's looking at these, these two people, the love that he has for them is, has not diminished at all. And the compassion and the grace that flows in his heart has, has not diminished toward them. Um... Even though he knows what's about to happen. The sad thing is, is that Adam and Eve were already in the image of God. They functioned the way he functioned. You know, they were speaking spirits. They um, were actually God's highest order of creation. Psalm 8, you know, he's made a little lower than Elohim. We, we were his crowning glory in creation. And um, we were given dominion over everything that has the ability to move in the earth. Everything with the soul, nefesh. We, we had dominion and authority over that. So, um, for Adam and Eve to even begin to doubt uh, boggles my mind. It, it just boggles my mind. Um, one interesting thing that I, I just think on, I don't even know it, that it has any... Uh, 
you know, anything other than I just appreciate that God is the one that put life-giving power in the soil. You know, we plant the seeds. We don't know how it comes up, but it comes up and it's made of soil. Whatever it is, it's made of soil. And God retains that power. The earth retains that power. Um, but man evidently was not given dominion over plant life. That still belonged to God, including the trees. And um, so it was it was legally his place to say, look, you have dominion over everything that moves in the earth. I made every creature and I brought him to you and you named him. So anything you named, you have authority over. I've given you that. But the trees of the garden, everything is mine. And you can eat of anything but one of those trees. And this one you cannot eat of. But everything else is yours in the garden. You know. Um, and... Um, so for them, he says, if you, if you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is what's going to happen. Um, you will die. You will surely die. And the word there is not just mooth. It's mooth, mooth. You will double die. You, you know, because that's the cost of what you do in rebellion. You know, there's, there is no life in it at all. Life also includes blessing. You know, God is full of life and blessing. Death is the curse. And um, so you have to remember then when he says, if you eat of that, you will surely die. You will surely lose everything. You will lose the blessing of God. The absence of the blessing will come. Not that God was withholding it, but that man walked away from it. He walked out from under it. We'll see that in a minute. Um, Just want to read a a couple of other notes here. This is... um, Rabbi Jonathan ben Uzziel from the Targum. He says, But of the tree whose fruit they who eat become wise and know good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will be guilty of death. Which that's a kind of an interesting way to put it. You will be guilty of death. And John Gill says this way, Eating the fruit of it, he would become experientially sensible to the difference between good and evil between obedience and disobedience to the will of God. Um, He found by sad experience what good he had lost or might have enjoyed and what evil he had brought on himself and his posterity that he might have avoided. So when God says you will know know the knowledge of good and evil, the word knowledge there is the word that means to know experientially, to learn experientially. Not just have a head understanding, but to have experience. Knowledge gained by personal experience. And to this point, they didn't know anything but good. They've only experienced good. They've experienced a good God. They've experienced the garden and perfection and all the blessing that flows there. So they had no concept in their mind of what the absence of that blessing would be. Evil. Evil is... Ra'ah in the Hebrew, it's adversity, affliction, calamity, distress, exceeding grief, wretchedness, trouble, and sorrow. Sums it up pretty good. That's the absence of the blessing. Everything Adam and Eve have experientially and know now, they're about to lose. And he, but, but he gives them the choice, and that's the whole thing. God gave Adam the choice. Will you remain submitted to me? Are you going to listen to my voice? Or are you going to fill your mouth with evil? 
Um, go to Deuteronomy 30. Now here he's talking about the word, but um, in the garden, in Deuteronomy 30, he's talking about the word in their mouth, but in the garden he's talking about the fruit of the tree in their mouth. But it's the same thing. What are you going to put in your mouth? What are you going to feed yourself on? Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28, not Deuteronomy 30. Go to Deuteronomy 28. We've been there before, but God continually puts this choice out to every human being because we always have the choice. We have the ability to reason. So in the garden he says, you can choose to be obedient to me and the blessing will flow. Or you can choose to eat of the only plant in the garden that I tell you not to eat of and the blessing ceases and you're going to end up knowing knowing experientially horrific things. You, you have your choice. You know. Um, and this is the way he says it to the children in, of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. He says, um, um, look at verse 12, 28-12. The Lord will open unto you his good treasures. See, it's just like he says to Adam. I, I've opened up all my good treasures to you. Every precious thing I have, I've opened up to you. And, um, and so he's saying it again to them. I've opened up my good treasures here. They're having to give the sun to the land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. Is this where I want to be? No, I'm in the wrong place. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It is Deuteronomy 30. I don't know what my brain was thinking. Well, that's still good. That's still, that's still good. It was still good. Because the Bible, this NIV says, will open the heavens, but you're saying open up all his good treasures. Yeah, which is exactly that's what he did. But this is it. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. I'm just a little flat tonight. This, this one says the same thing if you look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 12 says he will open to you his wonderful treasury of rain in the heavens wow. to give you fine crops every wow. season. Wow. He will bless everything you do and you shall be to many nations but shall not borrow from them. That's awesome. And that's exactly right. And that's where God was with Adam and Eve long ago. He says, here, I've given you everything. Every good treasure. You know, and the ground will produce for you abundantly, and everything will work well for you. But you have a choice here. You may and not have made a mistake when you told us to go to that. There you go. No. <laughs> well, look at verse 14 in 30. 30. 30. Chapter 30, verse 14. Honest to Pete. Okay. But the word is very near you and in your mouth. And in your heart that you may do it. And that word do, you know, is a word I saw, which means that you may plant, create, build, procure. Um, that's what it means. So he's saying, what's in your mouth? You know, put my word in your mouth. Okay, see, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. So there it is, the knowledge of life and good or the knowledge of death and evil. And that's a very same choice that Adam and Eve had. In that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, 
and the Lord will bless you in the land where you go to possess it. Now go down to verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. And it's the very same thing he was saying to Adam. Adam, you can eat of every everything in the garden, but not this one. You don't want to know what evil is. Okay? You experientially know the good, but you don't want to know the evil. It will bring you to death. It will bring you to death. Um, the word cursing is a really cool word. Um, in the Hebrew, the word literally means execration. So this is it. When you and I are living under the blessings of God, right now as born-again believers, we are consecrated. Con means together with. Um, the flow of the blessings are coming on us from God. We're together with God and the blessings flow. But the curse is execration. Ex means out or away. The curse is being outside of or away from the blessing of God. It's not that God puts bad stuff on us, but outside of the blessing, that's where the bad stuff is. That's it. That's it. And it's our choice. Do we move outside of the blessing by disobeying, or do we stay in the blessing by obeying? That's, that's the choice. I just I, I love that picture because it explains God. God's not sending lightning bolts down on everybody that does bad, you know, that makes a mistake or does fall short of the glory of God. But he's saying, don't, don't go there because my blessings aren't there. If you, if you choose to bow your knee to someone besides me, then that person becomes your master, not me. And if that person's your master, then my blessings can't get to you. And his blessings never stop flowing, but they just can't get to you. So, that was the situation when this serpent showed up in chapter 3. So let's read back in Genesis chapter 3. Now that I've kind of set this up a little bit, let's go back to the serpent. Um, in the Hebrew, the word for serpent is nakash, which means a prognosticator, a whisperer of magic spells, a diviner, or an enchanter. Mm-hmm. And the, and the lexicon notes say a luminous shining enchanter. A luminous shining enchanter. So I think maybe originally the snake must have been a glorious, beautiful creature. You know? Um, luminous and shining. It would have been a creature maybe that Eve would have been drawn to in some way, just naturally. There was nothing in the garden that would have been offensive to them. You know, nothing in the garden would have been offensive. Um, so this creature must have been quite beautiful um, in its existence. What was the Hebrew word? Uh, nakash. N-A-W-K-A-W-S-H if you want to know how to pronounce it. N-A-W-K-A-W-S-H. Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. Nikosh. Yeah. And it's a whisper of magic spells or a divine enchanter. Okay. So here we have this uh, shining luminous creature. 
in the garden. Um, when you start to read about this creature, it sounds like he's autonomous, that the creature itself is the one that's you know, causing the issues. But um, in ancient scriptures, it reads, instead of reading, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, the scripture says, and I think it sounds, makes more sense, the, the, the serpent was made more subtle. Which gives an opening for Satan to come and inhabit that creature and use that creature for his own purposes. Won't be the first time. He certainly did that with Judas, did he not? Mm-hmm. And John, it says, Satan entered Judas and Judas went out and betrayed him. So most scholars, Christian and Jewish, agree that the serpent itself was a creature, a created creature of God. But Satan inhabited that creature. That creature allowed that evil being to come in and use him. And so the phrase, the serpent was made more subtle, more cunning, more sly, uh, makes a little more sense than just the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. John Gill says it this way, the serpent wasn't naturally subtle, but through Satan being in it, using it in a very subtle manner to answer his purposes and gain his point. For though a real serpent and not a mere form or appearance of one is clear in this account because the curse was placed on it. It's a, it's a real creature, in other words. But the, um, the subtlety of the creature comes from the inhabiting of Satan. And, and, you know, Adam and Eve were the only creatures that could speak. There weren't any other beasts that were able to speak. And so it had to have been Satan inhabiting this creature that would cause him to speak. Um, it's funny when you read about this serpent and you, you go through the Old Testament looking at different places. In the lexicon, it mentions everything from a whale to a hippopotamus. One of the most practical, which I thought was kind of interesting, in, in Isaiah, there's a scripture where God speaks about the serpent under the water that comes up to bite men. So you think of a crocodile or an alligator something like that maybe it was an upright creature that looked something like that who knows but these are the things you can assume about that serpent number one he was pleasant to look at otherwise Eve would have been revulsed you know it would have been easy for her to not entertain that creature second it walked upright at some point because the curse is what brought it to the ground so this creature at the time somehow walked upright. Next, because, and this is really interesting, when we get into the conversation, you'll see that you, you step right into the middle of a conversation. It isn't like this is the first time Eve's ever seen this creature or had a conversation with him. We assume that this is the first time he's ever said anything to her. But you recognize here that She's not shocked. She's not going, whoa, when did you start talking? You know, none of these other creatures talk. How can you talk? She wasn't shocked. She wasn't put off by it. So you can assume 
and I and when you read when you see the language here, you'll understand why we walk into this picture mid conversation. This serpent has been working on her for a while. Um, you can also assume that because man was blessed with the ability to speak, Satan had to inhabit that ser serpent in order for it to speak. So um, the discourse begins as far as we're concerned. All right, look at verse 1. Now the serpent, I like, was made more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That little word yea is huge. In the Hebrew, it means moreover, or furthermore, or although, or yet. That one little word yea. Furthermore, moreover, Although, it means any of those things which indicates there were prior thoughts and prior conversation. And this is a connected idea. Oh, okay, let's see if it is wrong. Hello? Hey, Jeff got in touch with me and, and it's taken care of. <laughs> okay, yeah, Jeff's got it. So, thanks, Rod. Bye-bye. Mm, we had a strange little couple that showed up here a little while ago and um, wanted money and phone cards and so we just call the preach, call the preacher. Okay, here we go. So there's somehow mid-conversation here. It's not like this is just the very first time they've ever met. And Satan says, So, furthermore, or moreover, are you trying to tell me that God would deny you something so wonderful as to be like Him in wisdom and knowledge? How could that be? If He's a good God, why would He deny you those things? Um... This is from the Targum again. This is one translation. Is it true? Surely it cannot be true that a God of such goodness would ever deny you such a benefit or restrain you from such happiness. Um, how can he be your friend that lays such an injunction on you? So it wouldn't be beyond reason for that serpent to say, yeah, you're telling me you can't eat of this tree? Why would he do that to you? Here it is, um, the message Bible. I love the message. This is a conversation. So, do I understand that God told you not to eat any from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve says, no, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said don't eat it or even touch it or you'll die. Which she's dead wrong there. Because that's not what he said. But now Satan begins to rationalize. And he begins to use 2 Corinthians 10. I'll leave your fingers here. Go to 2 Corinthians 10 and then we're going to go to 1 John. Because I want to show you what he does. This is what he does to us every single time. Anytime you and I fall. Anytime we make a mess. 
This is where it starts. So the first thing Satan does is cast doubt on God's good intentions. You know, I mean, um, we're caught up, our Methodist church, you know, is caught up in the rebellion now that's going on in the West. Rather than waiting for the ruling on the bishop's part, um, some some churches have already voted to um, ordain um, homosexual bishops to... Um, you know, let homosexual um, pastors in churches and things, and and it, and it's open rebellion. And um, the thing is, is is there's a rationale, and it's called pride of life in there. And we are caught because this is the argument that comes to us. You know, Wesley said. God's word is the inerrant word. And we as, as Wesleyan, Wesleyan Methodists believe that God's word is true. No matter what the world says, we believe that what God's word said is true. And there's a reason for it. Because God wants to bless. He wants to bring blessing and peace to people. And, and um, so when we start to rationalize, yeah, but God says he loves everybody. They were supposed to love everybody. Yeah, we are supposed to love everybody. But how much do you love people? And that's the question. Do you love people enough to leave them in their misery? You know, to leave them where they are? Or do you love them enough to move them to a better place? And that's the question and that's the hard part. Jesus met everybody where they were. Look at the woman at the well. She was like worse than gum on the bottom of your shoe. But Jesus didn't leave her there. He turned her into a, an evangelist. She got the whole town evangelized you know he didn't leave her in her sin he loved her enough to say this is what this is where it is this is what's truth this is the truth so how much do we love and that's where we get trapped in this business of rationalizing and um, judging for ourselves and trying to think for ourselves rather than um, taking scripture for what it is. It, this is it's never easy to stand where God's word is. It's never easy. Because man's word... It, let me see if I can say it better. Men... Well, God's scripture will never bend to fit man's understanding. Mm-hmm. And men must bend their knowledge and understanding to fit with scripture. Amen. And, and that's the hard part. We live in an area in our brains where rationalization goes on all the time. And um, look at 2 Corinthians 10, start with verse 3. (coughs) This is the battlefield of the mind, right? Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The meaning of strongholds is wrong attitudes of the heart. So that's one of the first things. We have wrong attitudes of the heart. I know a little more than this scripture. So just listen to me. I can tell you how to figure this out. Mine says false arguments. False arguments. There you go. Then the next part, verse 5, casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything we believe to be true that goes against God's word is an imagination of our own making. Okay? It is a high thing in us that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Well, he couldn't possibly have meant that. I'm sure that this is what he meant. You know, so I'm just going to go ahead and do what I think he meant. So that's a high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And, um, oh, we have to quit here in a minute. Okay, so those are the things. Now go to 1 John in the back. 1 John. I don't think even Rod's here yet for the service. He's on his way. So I don't know. It's probably dark up there. <laughs> okay, that's right. Good point. Okay, 1 John chapter 2. Just one verse here. And it fits exactly, it dovetails with the verse we just finished, with the two verses we just finished. Verse 16. Chapter 2, 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh Lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's where human thinking exalts itself above the knowledge of God in those three areas. And that is exactly what Satan does to us every single time he wants to get us. And while we keep falling for it, it just boggles my mind. But we do. We just keep falling for the same uh, rationalizations over and over. So now back to Genesis chapter 3 and listen to what he says to them. Alright, just start back with verse 1 there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. There it is, pride of life. A high thing in imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. God says don't eat of it because if you do, you're going to end up in a horrible place. But the serpent says, No, you're going to end up... Being just like God. Well, the sick thing is, is in verse, in chapter 1, 26, he says, let us make him in our image and in our likeness. He already was like God. But now he's getting to her. Now here it is. Pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, there it is, lust of the flesh. Ooh, that looks good to eat. My flesh would love to have a bite of that. It was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree desired to make me wise, 
pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave to her husband who was with her and he did eat. Adam was with her in this conversation. And he never said a word. He never defended what God said. He never said a word. He just let that sorry snake, you know, wipe us all out. But it's the same tactics. Nothing has changed over the years. Look at Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was pride of life. He loved sitting in the gate. He loved being powerful in that city. You know, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Everything he wanted was right there. His wife was so caught up when the angel forcibly grabbed Lot by the arms and dragged him and his family out of there. His wife looked back. She couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. Look at Esau. Pride of life. You know, he was a very proud man. But he was hungry, and so what did he do? Lust of the eyes. He saw that stew and lust of the flesh. He was hungry. And so he sold his birthright for a pot of stew, right? Saw, um, David, lust of the eyes. He saw that beautiful woman on the rooftop. Lust of the flesh, I've got to have her. Pride of life, I'm the king. I can have anything I want. And he fell. And so on it goes. Now look at the second Adam, and then we're going to quit. May 4, I mean Matthew chapter 4. May 4, what am I? Matthew chapter 4. You guys don't want to fire me after tonight. I wouldn't blame you. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. Start with verse 1. Even with the second Adam, only it didn't work with the second Adam, but Satan sure tried it. Look at this, Second Adam, verse 1. <clears throat> then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterwards hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, Hmm, if you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made into bread. Lust of the flesh. You're hungry? Make something turn into bread. Lust of the flesh. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up on the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written that he will give his angels charge concerning you. There it is, pride of life. If you're God, prove it to me. Throw yourself off this pinnacle. And Jesus said, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He could see them. Lust of the eyes. And he said, All these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Get hence, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve and the devil left him. So where this trick, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, worked on Adam and Eve, it did not work on the second Adam. It did not work. Okay, we're going to stop right there. And we'll pick it up next week. It's kind of fun being back in this.
Okay, September 11th. Let me just pray for you real quick. Lord, we just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you again for people around this table. Lord, I pray for that couple that came in here. And I, I ask that they would come to know you in a saving way, Lord. That you would become the Lord of their lives. And would begin to know what it is to walk in your blessings. And your abundance. And your grace. Um, um, Father, meet their needs. And... Um, I, I don't mean financially, Lord, but I mean spiritually meet their needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Father, bless us all as we go out of here. Keep us safe. Um, keep us in your will. And thank you, Lord, that you've commanded the angels to protect us wherever we go. We just give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.